In last week's message and the week before that, we talk about certain ways that revival is described. We can talk about revival as that which is a spiritual work. It's not something that men do for God. It's something that God does for men. It's a spiritual work. The Holy Spirit is the one who is the author of revival. That's why in the Bible you see revival spoken of in terms of an outpouring of the Spirit of God. A special visitation of the Spirit of God. More of His influence, more of His power in people's lives. Revival is the reawakening of life and growth in the desert place. Revival is a restoration to God. Revival is a raining down of righteousness and holiness. It's all of those things. It's a spiritual work. We also noted that revival is a sovereign work. Anyone who knows me knows that I believe in the sovereignty of God. I preach on the sovereignty of God. Man is not in charge. God is in charge. Man is not on the throne, even of his own heart. God is on the throne. And we are all subject to God's plan and purpose. And in the sovereign purpose of God, he visits his church with revival from time to time. And someone put it like this, Revival is man retiring into the background because God has taken the field. I like that. God is sovereign. Revival is his work, just as salvation is the Lord's work. I hear sometimes preachers even saying that, well, you do your part and God will do his part. No, 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 no. Salvation is of the Lord. 100% it is of the Lord. You would never seek the Lord in faith and repentance if he did not seek you first. We have a hymn in our book which says, I sought the Lord, but afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. See, we're commanded to seek the Lord while he may be found. But the reality is that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He's the one who is the shepherd who goes after the sheep. I don't find the, the sheep that's out lost in the wilderness looking for the shepherd. But what I do find is that the shepherd goes out looking for the sheep. And he brings the sheep home rejoicing on his shoulders. That's salvation. Revival is the same. It is God's work. It is a sovereign work of a sovereign God. We also were noting the fact last week that revival is a special work. It's not correct to say that you can have revival all the time. You cannot. Because by its very definition, revival is an unusual and unique happening. It's not an everyday occurrence. It's occasional. It's very special. My own pastor used to refer to the tide going out spiritually. And when the tide goes out, even at the shore, there's all manner of garbage that you see on the shore, right? People have left all kinds of stuff and the sea itself just washes stuff around and you see all this trash and garbage all on the shore. That happens when the tide goes out spiritually. But when the tide comes in, it washes all that garbage away. 
Things that people thought were important before are no longer important. The petty squabbles and the little fights that people have one with another all disappear. Because now they've got their attention on the Lord. Now their minds and hearts are on spiritual things. The garbage is washed away when God comes in that special time of blessing. We use the text Psalm 102 verse 13 where the Lord tells us that there are set times in his sovereign purpose. Here's what the text says, Psalm 102 verse 13. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, and we'll take Zion here to be the church, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. There are set times, there are appointed times in God's sovereign purpose when he draws especially near and he puts forth a greater degree of power. That's what revival is. It's a manifestation of divine energy and power. Someone said, revival is divine intervention in the normal course of spiritual things. It's an unusual work. It's a special work. And then we finally noted that revival is a sudden work. That's very encouraging to me because as I read about revivals in history, I find that in many, many instances, in fact in most instances, there was no great expectation that it was going to happen. There's a book in my library that I cherish. It's a very little book, but it's called The Surprising, A Narrative of the Surprising Work of God. It's by Jonathan Edwards. Speaking about the revival that took place up in New England, he wasn't expecting it. He wasn't really, in a sense, looking for it, though he was praying for it. But it came very suddenly. And this is why the Bible talks of God coming down in terms of rending a curtain or pulling back drapes and appearing Isaiah 64, verse 1, O that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains may flow down at thy presence. It's God suddenly appearing for the blessing of his people. That tells me that our situation in the church of Jesus Christ and in the nation can very quickly be transformed. Things can change very, very suddenly. You may not believe it, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Revival can come, and it can come in a very sudden manner. But in defining revival, we also want to think about the fact that there are examples of revival to which we can look for our encouragement. And that's what I want to do today. I want us to consider some examples of times of revival. Notice the text that I took this morning that I began with, Psalm 44, verse 1. He says there, we have heard with our ears. And that's generally what you hear with, right? That's what you use. So don't switch off. Listen. That's what those two things are for. They're called ears to listen. But there's also the ear of the soul. There's the ear of the heart. And that's more important still. That's why Jesus said, let these words sink down into your ears. That we might hear and that we might heed God's word. But notice this. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. And we could 
say that this is true of revival. We've heard about it. We have seen the writings of men. Our fathers, our forefathers, have written about their experiences. And those things, if we consider them, are very encouraging. If you look at the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 3, and verse 19, there's a phrase there that really fits in with what I'm saying. Of course, there is here a command, Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore, that means to turn from your sins, be sorry for your sins, and turn away from them, and be converted, that means changed, altered, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now think about that phrase. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. A text that I used at the beginning of these messages is Psalm 85 verse 6. And again it's a prayer. And it's a prayer that I want to tell you has not become obsolete. This is not a prayer that belongs to some other dispensation that you can't use. Psalm 85 verse 6 is still in my Bible. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Here we have the prayer of the psalmist for God to repeat his mighty acts that he performed in the past. Wilt thou not revive us again? So what he's praying for is not something that is unknown. It's not something that hasn't been seen before. It's something that has occurred in the past. Wilt thou not revive us again? Do it again, Lord. There are many examples of tremendous revival times that we could meditate upon this morning. Times of revival which have been known in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about the word history. Some people don't like history. I loved history when I was at school. When I was in Bible college, I loved church history. I used to eat that up. I'd love to hear of those days when God moved in power, especially. I enjoyed being in the historical theology class conducted by Dr. Paisley. And he used to assign us books to read. And those books were thrilling accounts oftentimes of church history. But it has been said that history is his story. Think about it. H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. It's his story. History... And the history of the church is a record of a whole series of God working in revival. It has happened before. There have been times, such as are described here in Acts 3.19, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. These things have been known in the past. Days of revival, blessing. And so, that's my subject today. Days of revival, blessing. Let's examine some of those times. First of all, we can recollect examples of days of revival in sacred history. 
When I say sacred history, I'm referring to the Bible. The scriptures. The Bible is a handbook on revival, actually. It's filled with examples in both the Old and New Testaments of great seasons of God's power, of refreshing. There are records in the scripture of times and periods of which only the word revival would be appropriate to describe what was taking place. Days when God came down powerfully. When God worked in people's lives and people's hearts. When men and women were spiritually awakened. When multitudes of people were turned to righteousness and true holiness all at the same time. We could spend a lot of time considering the revivals of the Bible. I just want to very briefly, if I can, point out to you some examples of revival in the Old Testament. I'm going to be returning to a lot of scriptures here, so you can either note them down, or if you're pretty dexterous with your fingers, you can find them. But I might be a little bit ahead of you, because I have an advantage. I've got notes with all these written down. But if you think about what it says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, there are those who have described this as being a revival of sorts. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Here is prayer. Here are people gathered together to seek after God. That's what happens when revival comes. But of course there are many examples of what one writer called the deep shades of apostasy in which the church is wrapped in melancholy gloom being frequently lit up by the revival of religion. The Lord coming and changing the situation spiritually. Just go over a number of books to Judges. Right after the book of Joshua, you have the record of the Judges. And it tells us in chapter 2 of Judges, in verses 4 and 5, that it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, which means weepers. And they sacrificed there unto the Lord. What happened? Something changed in those people when they heard the word of God. They were restored unto the Lord. There was, in short, a revival. Again, under Samuel the prophet, revival came to Israel. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7, from verse 2. There we read, And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kiriath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and served the Lord only. They had been serving false gods, 
And they put those idols and those false gods away. And began to serve the Lord only. That's a revival. That's what happens when revival comes. People put away their idols. You see, the thing that you love most is your God. The thing that you love most is your God. That's very challenging to think about, isn't it? We love our families. We love our spouses. We love our children. Jesus said, if you love father or mother, brother or sister more than me, you're not worthy of me. To be his disciple, we must love him. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. When revival comes, we put the idols away. One writer remarked about this instance in 1 Samuel 7, we cannot hesitate to pronounce this as one of the most general and effectual revivals of religion which ever took place in the church of Israel. And of course we can go further in the Chronicles. In Second Chronicles chapter 15, you have an instance of revival. And then under Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 19, let me just turn there for a moment. <clears throat> Second Chronicles, chapter 19, verse 4. And Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim, and brought them back unto the Lord God of their fathers. Isn't that what revival is? It's people who have been away from the Lord coming back to the Lord and if you were to study chapter 20 of 2nd Chronicles you see that there is this great moving of God where in verse 4 Judah the whole people gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord even out of all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord there was a great congregation of people all met to pray to seek God looking to him for his help in a time of great trouble and the Lord told them, the battle is not yours, but God's. And then you have the events on Mount Carmel under Elijah. What happened there really was a revival. You have two competing religions. You have the religion of Baal. You have the worship of God, the Lord God of Israel. There was a challenge there at the altar that was built. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. So the Baalites all did their whole rigmarole, their genuflecting at the altar and all of that, cutting themselves with knives and crying out and screaming. Nothing happened. Elijah told them to bring twelve barrels of water and pour it all over the altar to make sure that they knew when this happened it would be a miracle for fire to fall. And when he prayed, God sent the fire and it burned up all that was on the altar and all that was surrounding the altar, including the water, it all disappeared as the fire of God fell. But you know what happened as well as that? First Kings chapter 18 verse 39 tells us, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. That was a revival. That was a move of God in the nation. A national repentance. 
And then a revival and a reformation took place in the reign of Hezekiah. Again, we haven't time to read all that's in Second Chronicles 29. But I could pick out a few things that are features of that time. That are features of every revival. Let me just show you those things. Second Chronicles 29, verse 3. It says of Hezekiah that he in the first year of his reign, in the first month, that means right at the start, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. That's what happens when revival comes. Places of worship are not closing, they're opening up. And then there are great changes that take place in God's house. Second Chronicles 29 verse 35. And also the burnt offerings were in abundance, but the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. The service was set in order. You'll find as well in verses 15 and 16, there was a putting away of uncleanness and a sanctifying of the people. The word sanctifying means to be set apart unto a holy purpose. And verses 15 and 16 make that clear. They gathered their brethren. They sanctified themselves. That means they set themselves apart for a holy purpose. They came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad to the brook Kidron. That's what happens when revival comes. There's a cleansing of the house of the Lord and all the uncleanness is removed. All the garbage is taken away. There's so much of that in churches today. Fleshly garbage. That was just not of God at all. And of course, there's worship and there's praise when revival comes. Verses 27 through 30. There's joy and gladness. And guess what? The Lord gets all the glory for it. In verse 36 we learn this. Hezekiah rejoiced and all the people that God had prepared the people. For the thing was done suddenly. God had prepared the people. They didn't do it. God did it. So the so-called personalities of revival disappear when revival comes. And we could go on. One of the chief examples of what happens in revival is also here in chapter 30. From verse 25 to 27. And it's really a description of of the people, the congregation, the priests, the Levites, and all the congregation coming together to pray. It says in verse 27, Their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. That's what happens when revival comes. I could go on. Revival came also at the time of Josiah. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Second Chronicles chapter 35. Revival came at the end of the Babylonian captivity. This was nothing short of revival. It's described in the book of Ezra. In the first chapter of that book. In verse number 5. We read, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised. Notice that. 
to go up to build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem, whose spirit God had raised. And there were further revivals under both Ezra in Ezra chapter 10 verse 1 and Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 8. You know, it's remarkable to read in the 8th chapter of Nehemiah how that the people stood all day from morning till evening with the little ones hearing the reading of the Word of God. That's what they were doing. They were hearing the reading of God's Word and the exposition of that Word because they read in the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's what preaching is. It's the exposition of God's Word. And you just study it for yourself. And you'll find there that they read before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Half a day they stood listening to the reading of God's word. All great examples of the hand of the Lord at work in the Old Testament period. But what about the New Testament? Where to begin? Well, think about the day of Pentecost. There were 120 people gathered in an upper room praying. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they were there together with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting They weren't jumping about like banshees to rock music. They weren't hanging from the chandeliers. They were sitting. This was an orderly prayer meeting. And God came in power. He poured out His Spirit upon the church to such a degree that it says in verse 41 of Acts 2, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, And the same day, think about that, one day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine that? Big crowd like that, every last person being converted to God. People who beforehand had no time for God. People who beforehand were not interested in Christ. And now they're converted. And other remarkable seasons of refreshing followed that. Because we're told in verse 47 that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You could read that, such as were being saved. The Lord added, not the church, not the minister added to the church. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. People getting converted every single day. Is not that revival? Days of great blessing? And the book of Acts is a history of further revivals. Chapter 4, verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. You see that? It was 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Now it's 5,000. And then you you go further in Acts chapter 5, verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Look at this. Multitudes. Multitudes both of men and women. Big crowds. And then chapter 11, verse 21. 
Acts 11.21 Again, notice who is doing this work. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. God constantly moving and visiting his church. A whole series of mighty moves of God. Times of refreshing in the first few centuries of the New Testament. And as the gospel spread among the Gentile nations, churches were established. Multitudes were converted to Christ. So I think we're right in saying that the Bible, sacred history, is full of examples of times of revival. What about subsequent history? We've talked about sacred history. What about subsequent history? Church history. From the time when Christ left the earth until now. What has been happening? In my library I've got some wonderful books. And I've got some wonderful books about revival. Books that contain accounts of times of refreshing in church history. Eyewitness accounts of things that took place during the times following apostolic days. And when I read those accounts, it encourages me to pray that the Lord would do it again in my day. That's what it does. When I lived in Scotland, ministered there for ten years, I used to love to visit special sites that are associated in history with great moves of God in revival. I would visit places like the Kirkashots. That's a Scottish word. Kirk for means the church. The church of shots. Halfway between Glasgow and Edinburgh, there's a high, sort of hilly place. And from the main highway through there, you can see this church that stands on the hill. Now it's been rebuilt through the years many times. But it was at that Kirk of Shots that a young man of 17 by the name of John Livingston, who was a licentiate for the ministry, was studying for the ministry. I don't even think he was licensed yet. But they had a communion season at that church and John Livingston was asked by some of his peers, very august preachers like Donald Cargill and others, if he would preach the sermon on the Thanksgiving Day, the Monday. He was scared out of his britches. And he testified himself that he was so afraid of that that he decided to run away. And I know the very place that he has written about. And this happened in 1629, by the way. But he ran until the Kirk of Shots was just like a little dot in the distance. He could barely see it. And he didn't hear any voices from heaven. But he said it was as if God had spoken to him from heaven. And telling him, John, if you don't go back there and preach, you will never preach again. And so in fear and trembling, he turned on his helium and he went back to the Kirkus shots. And he took up Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 36, in which it speaks there of the Lord giving men and women a new heart, taking away the heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. And as he began to preach, young John Livingston saw the rain starting to fall, as it often does in Scotland. And the people started going for their shawls and their 
aprons, their, their cloaks, their coats to cover their heads. And young Livingston, in a flight of oratory, started to speak about the judgment of God. He said, folks, if a few drops of rain coming on your head would cause you to, in, in such commotion, to be covering your heads, what are you going to do when God pours out wrath from heaven, fire and brimstone in judgment? And he preached with such power that 500 people were converted in that gathering. There was a commission set up 10 years later in the Church of Scotland to examine the effects of that revival to see if it, been, if it had been genuine or not. And among all the people that they could contact who were still alive of the 500, none of them were backslidden. Every one of them was going on with God. And by the way, Livingston later preached in Northern Ireland in a place called Hollywood near my home city. He had a similar experience there when it, when it was reckoned about 500 were converted. And as an older man, he testified, he said, only twice in my entire ministry did I ever preach. Only twice. Once was at Hollywood, the other was at that blessed Kirkushots. You say, well, could God do that again? Yes, he could. Absolutely he could. Why, why not? Is there anything to stop God from doing that? We think of what the Lord did in the Great Reformation. It has been termed the greatest revival since the days of the Apostles. Because through the continent of Europe, the gospel spread like wildfire and nation after nation threw off the shackles of false religion and embraced the true faith of Jesus Christ. And there was no country more blessed at that time than the land of Scotland. One writer called Curtin said of the land of Scotland, in Scotland the whole nation was converted by lump. Lo, he said, here is a nation born in one day. And since the days of the Reformation, what awakenings have occurred? Some remarkable times have been witnessed in various parts of the world, including this nation. I don't have to go any further to speak about the things that our fathers have told us than to recount to you some of the works of God in this country. I know that in the Puritan era in England, there were some tremendous preachers raised up whose writings are greatly valued even today. My library is full of these writings of men like John Owen, Richard Baxter, Thomas Goodwin, John Bunyan, Stephen Sharnock, Thomas Watson, Thomas Manton, Jeremiah Burroughs, William Perkins, loads of others. And God used those men in a mighty way to revive his work. I've spoken about some of the revival times in Ulster. Sometimes when there were manifestations of the Spirit that one writer said had almost since the days of the Apostles never been seen. I think of the 18th century. Some of the most remarkable seasons of blessing came at that time. Many different writers have detailed how that there were great stirrings of God in the British Isles and at the very same time God was working here in America. 
at the same time. Think about the ministries of Wesley and Whitfield. Think about revivals in the Principality of Wales that occurred in ministries of men like Charles of Balak, Howell Harris, Daniel Rowland, William Williams. I preached in a place called Rutherglen in Scotland. About two miles up the road was a place called Cambus Line. There was a mighty move of God in that place. And it has been recorded in revivals of the 18th century by a man called McFarlane. He gives a full account of that tremendous outpouring of the Spirit that was witnessed at Cambus Line that spread to the rest of the country. The famous Methodist evangelist George Whitfield visited Cambus Lang at the height of the revival. When I ministered there, there was a plaque put on the gate of that park by the Parks Department in Glasgow, telling of that revival and speaking of Whitfield visiting there. And you can visit a place there called the Preaching Braze, where he set up a place for preaching and people gathered in their thousands. And Whitfield testified that what he saw happen there in the height of that revival in 1742 far surpassed anything that he had ever seen in America. And he saw tremendous works here. But I think about what happened in the colonies of New England when revival blessing came. And yes, in this part of the world, maybe you know where Neshaminy Creek is. In Pennsylvania, William, John and Gilbert Tennant, who were of Ulster stock, by the way, they were referred to as the Flaming Tennants. They started a college called the Log College because it was built of logs. It became the College of New Jersey. Later it became Princeton. That was a center of revival. I think of Jonathan Edwards, who's buried at Princeton. Mightily used in the Great Awakening. There was a famous sermon preached by Jonathan Edwards. You may have heard of it. The sermon was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I have this documented short history of what happened at that time. Jonathan Edwards was actually a substitute preacher, if you can imagine, on that occasion, on the 8th of July, 1741. That's the very same time that God was moving in canvas line in Scotland. Edwards preached a sermon from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 33. Their foot shall slide in due time. He had preached that message before in Northampton, in Massachusetts, Nothing really happened when he preached. But on this occasion, it was like a bombshell sermon. A man called Stephen Williams gave an eyewitness account of that message. Here's what he said. When we went over to Enfield, we met dear Mr. Edwards of Northampton, who preached a most awakening sermon from these words, Deuteronomy 32. And before the sermon was done, there was a great moaning and crying out through the whole house. What shall I do to be saved? Oh, I am going to hell. 
Oh, what shall I do for Christ, etc., etc. So the minister was obliged to desist. The shrieks and the cries were piercing and amazing. After some time of waiting, the congregation were still, so that a prayer was made by Mr. Wheelock. After that, we descended from the pulpit and discoursed with the people, some in one place, some in another, and amazing and astonishing, the power of God was seen. And several souls were hopefully wrought upon that night, and all oh, the cheerfulness and the pleasantness of their countenances that received comfort, oh, that God would strengthen and confirm them. And we sung a hymn and prayed and dismissed the assembly. That was a tremendous time of blessing. But there are many, many other instances that I could give you of times of revival. Too many, really, uh, to speak of here today. But I know that in many instances, men who were otherwise not great orators, who were not known for the power of their preaching, were mightily used of God just to show that revival is of God. One minister, William McCulloch, I'm familiar with him, not that I knew him because he lived in the 1700s, but he's buried at Canvas Lang in the very side wall of the church. I've visited his grave many times. McCulloch was no mighty preacher, apparently. He was not known for his oratory. And he said that he could not even get his elders to agree to have a prayer meeting. They wouldn't gather for prayer. But he started a Thursday night Bible study. People started to come to that Bible study at his parsonage at the manse. And one night, about 50 people or so had been there and they left to go home. And then as if all being called back by a trumpet blast or a bugle, they all returned to the minister's mass. In distress of heart, people were crying, people were upset, people were grieved about their sins. And that started what McCulloch said was a mighty move of God's Spirit in that place when many, many people, hundreds, yea even thousands, were converted in all parts of Scotland. And at the height of that awakening, as I've already mentioned, Whitfield visited. There was a revival that took place in 1839 in the church of Robert Murray McShane in Dundee, Scotland. He was away convalescing in the Holy Land because he was ill. There was a young man again who was not very experienced in preaching, William Chalmers Burns, who later became a missionary to China. And while Burns was there preaching, a revival broke out in St. Peter's Church in Dundee. And at the height of that revival time, you know how many prayer meetings they had every week? 39. 39 prayer meetings in that one congregation. And five of those prayer meetings were carried on by children. Little ones. Deciding to have times of prayer. It's amazing. And McShane himself testified of this in a little booklet called The Children of 59. Again, revival took place in 1857-58 here in the United States. There was a man in Fulton Street, New York, 
who was really moved in his soul that he should pray for revival. He opened his place of business, just a, a regular room for prayer. And at first nobody bothered to join him. And then there started to be ones and twos come to pray. Until that thing mushroomed into what became the, the, the Fulton Street prayer meeting. And a great revival broke out. Many people were converted as a result of that. And such was the response at that time. And such was the documentation of it. And remember, this is before the days of the internet. This is the days before you know, something happens now and people heard about it five minutes ago. This was a time when communication was not great. But over in Ulster, where I'm from, the Presbyterian General Assembly met and they heard about this revival in Fulton Street. So they sent two commissioners from the General Assembly of the church there to New York to find out what was going on. They wanted to make sure that it wasn't spurious nonsense. And when they visited there, so stirred were they that they came back full of the revival spirit. And as they went around churches in Northern Ireland at that time, all throughout Ireland, people started getting converted and the 1859 revival broke out. The newspapers of the time referred to those two ministers as gems of revival imported from America. Listen, God is able to do the like even today. Revival has happened before. It has happened before. Can we not look at the scripture and say with Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 3, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath remember mercy. Can we not with the psalmist in Psalm 85 and verse 6 say, Lord, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? If revival is the history of redemption, if, if, if revival's the, the whole record of them in the church is the history of, of redemption, then that history is not yet all written. I've heard people say even in recent days there will not be any revival. No use to pray about it. Things are getting worse. Things are getting so bad in the world, just the next thing that's going to happen is that Christ will come. But I'd love to ask those people, how do you know where we're at in God's prophetic calendar anyway? How do you know that? Do you know that? Do you have some insight the rest of us don't have? Even if what you believe is true? Can God not revive his work? Are souls not going to be saved right up until the end before Christ comes? My Bible teaches me that they will be. Can we not still in our gatherings sing with the hymn writer, Lord, come quickly down and make a thousand hearts thine own? Can we not sing that anymore? Is God not able to do that? Listen, if the casinos are full over in Atlantic City and in Las Vegas, could God not fill the churches? If the devil is able to gather people together for large groups involved in sinful activity, is the Lord not able to gather his people for the greatest activity of all, which is the worship of God? 
showers of blessing, O grant them showers of blessing from thee. What a wonderful history is the history of revival and it's not yet complete. I will close with Psalm 72. From verse 6. He shall come down as rain upon the mown grass. As showers that water the earth. Speaking about the Lord. In his days shall the righteous flourish. And abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. You know I think of the days when. The great awakening took place. In Northampton up in New England. It was said at that time. That the preaching of the gospel was attended with the most wonderful power in every part of New England. Revivals gave new life and multiplied numbers to the churches. It cannot be doubted that at least 50,000 souls were added to the churches of New England out of a population of 250,000. Math is not necessarily my strong point, but I think that's one-fifth of the population not less than 150 new congregational churches were established in a 20 year period the increase of Baptist churches was still more wonderful rising from 9 to 400 in number with a total membership of 300,000 members there was a similar growth in the Presbyterian and other churches tens of thousands bowed before the majesty of of truth wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee let's pray that showers of blessing will once again descend on our nations God can send revival may it soon come for his glory Amen